Hello and welcome back to Caskheads. I'm your host Jordan and with me is my co-host for the second time in a row, Yes. my filling co-host Dad. Hello! Luke is recovering. He has had a little bit of an operation on his hip because he's an old person. And um, yeah, so he's, he's out of commission for a little bit, but he will be back. Um, today we are going to bounce back onto a previous topic we talked about and that was back in season one, which is independent bottlers. So, seeing as I have a temporary co-host with me, what do you know about independent bottlers? That they do it all independently. How so? Because they all... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so somebody's really been listening. Oh, yes. <clears throat> now, I know I've said it before, but I really do find it great, the variety you can experience from completely different styles, and particularly when you get something like an independent bottler, because they often take whiskies from distilleries and they further mature them in their own casks. Um, Gordon McPhail's, they buy the spirit directly and they mature it for all its life in their casks and their warehouses. And you can get all these wonderful kind of different takes on whiskies. And, and I think, like I say, it's the variety that fascinates me. So you were asking me about independent bottlers. Yes, I thought... It was so you get distillery-owned bottlings where you get, for instance, most of the bottles that you've seen have been distillery-owned bottles. So like at Glendronic Distillery, it will have their label on their whiskey inside and things. Independent bottlers are things like the one that we're doing today. So in this case, Murray McDavid, who we'll be talking about later on, they've got spirit from North British Distillery, which is a lowland distillery. In this case, it's single-grain spirit, and they have matured it in fir- uh, American hogsheads, first of all, and then they've used first-filled tawny port casks to finish it in. So they've chosen what cask they want this done in. Um, it's a combination of two casks, Sorry, it's a combination of multiple casks and it's all done to their specifications and it's a completely wonderful different way to try whiskey. Because most of the time North British grain actually goes into um, blends and things. You don't get to try the spirit, but it's a very nice, light, high quality, delicate uh, whiskey. And it's perfect for summer, which is why I have this bottle. Right. So where does it so when it says independent bottler? Because they're an independent bottler, not a distillery. They've got whiskey from the distillery and they oh, independently. Now, yes. yes, yes, I'm with you now. Independently produced it by... Yes. Yes. Okay. So, first of all, I thought we'd um, mention a little bit about, obviously, who Murray McDavid's are, the independent bottlers, because I know we haven't actually covered them before. Um, In season one, like I say, I focus a lot on Gordon McPhail's, and they're a great independent bottler based in Elgin, but today we're talking about someone else. Now, they were formed back in 1994. Because I was like, what else happened in 1994? I found out that... The classic movie starring Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves' Speed came out. Oh. The first Witcher book in the series, uh, Blood and Elves, was published, which is bizarre because I was literally just reading it like last month and I only just got around to reading it. Um, and also, it's a very popular series on Netflix at the moment. But more importantly, around then, although I was too young to be drinking whiskey, I was there. You know, I was around by 94, so it was a very important kind of stage, the early 90s, I think. So, of somewhat notable news was the fact that the formation of this new company, Murray McDavid, which was founded by Mark Rainier, uh, Simon Simon Coughlin, I think, and Gordon Wright. Um, Gordon Wright is, as in the Springbank distillery owners, the Wrights family. So, quite a big deal already in the industry having Gordon Wright on your side. Now, for some people, they might recognise the name Mark Rainier and Simon Coughlin because they are of Proclady fame, which is another distillery on Isla. 
the company was and is still to this day renowned for maturing their whiskies in really interesting casks, especially wine casks. And a lot of this originates from the founders because Mark Rainier had this wine background, as we discussed when we talked about Brook Laddie. Sorry, when we talked about Brook Laddie and we talked about uh, Waterford Distillery as well, which is his distillery he owns now. Um, Mark Rainier always will have that kind of wine background to his history and he will always draw that into his uh, distilling practices. Now, flashing forward a little bit, in the year 2000, Murray McDavid, the company, were the driving force behind the reopening of Brookladdy, as I was saying. So Rainier became, coming from that wine background, he had many ties and he helped uh, with the development of the whiskey there as well. Another figure to step into the distillery would be the legendary Jim McEwen, who also had a lot to do with some of the selecting the casks when it came to the early bottlings of uh, Murray McDavid that people were talking about. Later on, the the companies would separate, but uh, certainly those early days when you had Jim McEwen picking some of those casks, there are some spectacular ones. Um, not to say that the new ones aren't, but there's some really nice vintage whiskies that you just don't get a try- chance to try. Now, in 2012, which if you cast your mind back, you might remember there was a little bit of fuss about a calendar ending. And um, supposedly there was going to be all manner of doomed filled prophecies and warnings. Mm-hmm. 2012. Yes. 2012, rather, not 2012. That'd be bizarre. Yeah, Remy Quantro purchased Brookladdy Distillery and Murray McDavid, who are the current owners of Brookladdy to this day, Remy Quantro. Now, the independent bottling side of the company would later be sold off and uh, it was sold off separately to its current owners today. Uh, Now, Murray McDavid is based in Colburn Distillery in Speyside, where they continue to mature their whiskies, focusing on a number of interesting and high-quality casks. So they really are determined to keep on this tradition of these kind of interesting cask finishes and and having these great partnerships with with some of the places across, particularly on the continent, where it comes to the um, bodegas and uh, a lot of the port houses. So how often can they reuse a cask then? Four fills or 40 years, whatever happens first, roughly. Right. But if you want the most impact, you use a first fill cask. Because first fill means, uh, for instance, if it's first fill port pipe, like we've got that one. It's had port in it before, but never had whiskey before. Second fill means it's the second batch round. So if you're doing something like, um, if you if you do Lagavulin, actually, that's that's always a classic example to do. Um, very nice, heavily peated whiskey, but they want a lot of sherry cask influence. Now, peaty whiskey older is a balancing act. And Lagavulin 16, what they do is they use second fill sherry casks. So the sherry casks still impart the flavor after 16 years, but doesn't overwhelm it as well. Just because it's not a first fill doesn't always mean it's bad. It depends what your style you want to do. I should also point out that the company Murray McDavid apparently have a 60-foot longboat moored on the River Clyde in the centre of Glasgow where they host whiskey tastings and trips, and I think they should probably take me there. I think that seems like a very good guess. Yeah, I do, yes. Um... I should draw them a line. That's yeah, you should say... Sure, sure. Can't see any problem there myself, personally. It would mean if they didn't. Now, as far as their range of whiskies are concerned, the company actually offers some absolutely spectacular drams. Really bright coloured tins define the different ranges available. It's very it's, it's very striking on shelves, but it's also very easy to separate the, the brands. And I mean, as soon as you saw the tin, you commented on oh, it, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, very nice. Um, so their range, first of all, you have Mission Gold, which funnily enough is in a, a bright gold tin. Now these are their very rare uh, old vintage whiskies, and apparently they are exceptional single malts, although I haven't actually tried any of them yet. They kind of show the best that the company has for offer, and uh, they're bottled at various higher percentages just to really highlight and showcase that uh, cask influence, as we've talked about before. When you have older whiskies, you want to, you don't want to dilute it by adding too much water, so you want to really highlight all that uh, influence the casks have, have had on it over the years. Benchmark is the range I'm most familiar with. They highlight some of the wonderful cask finishes that they do, complementing these whiskies perfectly. It comes in a silver tin and a lot of them are single casks or just a couple kind of casks maximum. The whole idea is is really showing the versatility of the styles um, and and showing the the range that they have for the whiskey drinkers. 
Then you get the mystery malt, which comes in a bright red tube. This really, really um, draws you in. Uh, the idea is to offer you whiskey without telling you where it's from. They will often put a little hint in the name on the label regarding its origins, but they won't confirm it. So as you expect with Murray David, they've once again turned to more of these wonderful casks kind of finishing for the releases. One that I tried was a really nice, heavily peated island whiskey. And um, like I say, you couldn't, you couldn't tell what it was, but the uh, the Gallic translates to safe haven, which for those of you who know your distillery history will know which distillery that is. Um, then we're on to select grain, which is uh, actually the one that we will be trying later on. Uh, select grain shows single grain whiskies and the variety that you can get from them because I chose a single grain whiskey because I've said it before, it tends to get overlooked as a style. Um, particularly when you start to get to the summer, I really like the lighter whiskies. And so many times I hear people say that when it comes to whiskey, um, malt is what gives you the flavor, grain is what gives you the volume. And it's just, it really isn't true. You can do it that way if you want to, but there are so many great flavorful kind of uh, single grain whiskies out there to try. And that's kind of why I chose this one. I really wanted to go off the path because I know we've done a lot of single malts recently. Now these come in a lovely kind of bright blue tube, which it, mm. as we said, commented on. Grain as a general rule is lighter and sweeter um, than single malt. And this one is no exception to the rule. It has been finished in this case in tawny port casks or tawny port pipes rather. So I will be expecting some very nice berry flavors to be coming through. Then we get the vatting range is actually a throwback to a slightly older term called vatted malts. It's no longer kind of really accepted in the industry as a term, but a lot of people still use it to this day. Uh, vatting malts, vatted malts are what are known as blended malts today, so things like Monkey Shoulder is a very typical version. So it's, it's just a recipe of different single malt whiskies that you've vatted together in this case, uh, which is where the name came from, and you you release them. And so they do actually do their own blended malt versions um, in their vatting range. Then we also have the crafted blend, which is your more traditional blend where you have grain whiskey mixed in. And it's I think it's great to see this um, independent bottler that's doing single malts, single grains. Um, they're also doing um, blended malts and blends. And I, I think to have that versatility, plus all the distilleries they're working with and all the cask finishes, they can really um, show you a variety of flavors that's fascinating. So like I said, today we're talking about the grain range. Um, it's from North British Distillery. It has been finished in first fill tawny port pipes and bottled at 50% ABV. Now the bottling for this principle is so you get that cask flavor coming through. Um, can't stress it enough. The more alcohol, the more flavor carries across. <clears throat> Um, and also, I, one of the big reasons why I really wanted to get this one as well is because it's 13 years old, and I just thought it was a really funny age to bottle at. You don't see many 13-year-old whiskies. It's normally 12 or 14. 13 mm. can be considered one, a bit of an unlucky number. number yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Friday the 13th this month. Is it? Yeah. Oh. So also, I thought we'd talk about North British Distillery, who is the actual distillery who makes the spirit, because I know we haven't actually talked about them yet on the on Casketts. Um, North British is a lowland distillery. They predominantly use corn for their distilling to create the lighter, sweeter spirit. However, you can use other grains when you're making grain whiskey. So they also use some malt and they have been used uh, unmalted barley as well. But they particularly focus on that corn to give it that lighter, sweeter style. It was established in 1885 on the outskirts of Edinburgh and it was founded by three businessmen who were independent blenders and sellers of their own brands. And they wanted to join together to create this equal ground area where they could get the grain for their individual uh, brands without having to go and buy off third parties they could deal with themselves and, and it was split that way and it works this way it worked this way sorry for a very long time actually um 
it was about 100 years it would uh, finally change hands and after a couple of owners took it over it was actually and is, to this day is owned by Diageo and the Edrington Group now Diageo is the biggest whiskey company in the world yeah biggest alcoholic drinks company in the world Edrington own Macallan which is very very fancy these are some of the random figures that although they might sound boring puts things into context it took over just over 100 years to reach 1.5 billion litres of alcohol produced now I don't mean bottle like it's pure alcohol but yeah this is just how industrial this company is. Now, after they increased the technology modernization, they reached 2 billion litres only 10 years later. So they got another 5 billion, 0.5 billion litres, rather, in just 10 years. Uh, and that was in 2008. And then in by 2015, they've already reached 2.5 billion. Really is a complete opposite way to create whiskey versus single malts where you have to use these batch pot stills. One of the highlights is you're using these continuous stills, which funnily enough, run continuously. A lot of spirit comes through. And yes, it creates a lighter, finer spirit because of the process. And this is where some of the um, kind of misconceptions and bad reputation can come through. But you can get a lot of very nice, different spirit as well. Now, apparently the distiller also focuses on the use of waste byproducts, creating enough feed. These are some other really fun facts, apparently. Uh, yeah, they've produced enough feed for around 6,000 cows a day. Um, and by using waste liquid in their anaerobic digestion plant, they create create up to 450 kilowatts of electricity, which they use to power the site. Oh. So the, it is a very, although it's a very big industrious kind of um, situation, they're, they're actually very eco-friendly with this mm. as well. Apparently four stills gives them the capacity to produce the equivalent of 500 bottles of grain spirit a minute, extracted at 94.5 ABV. That is a Crazy. serious, serious amount of liquid running through their stills. But that's not even bottling strength at 94.5. That is like, they'd have to die dilute that even to fill it into the casks so it's, it just shows you how much is going through there mm. i mean it is an absolutely phenomenal situation it's when you're talking about grain distillery. It? it is and so you can understand why a lot of the distilleries um i mean particularly in, in this case as well it's no different w during world war ii um a lot of the distilleries when they had to close down they were actually used for creating industrial alcohol for me medical reasons and things like that oh, sterilization because yeah, yeah. the equipment isn't that different and when you have such a high capacity situation it really would have been helping the war effort yeah. a lot ah dear but with all the dry dry facts i thought we might be a bit thirsty ah. color wise it is i mean it's a little dark and i think that's the cask influence a lot of grain whiskies you tend to see are very light and i think that's because a lot of well, a lot of uh, producers they tend to like using american oak casks to highlight that kind of a little bit more of a creamy side to it um and certainly a lot of american oak has gone into this it's it's a little dark but it hasn't taken on a very pinkish kind of hue that you start to get with the um with the port casks particularly and it really does um yeah, like I say, even at fifty percent ABV, there's a little bit on the nose you can feel, but it's not like it's it's, it's not like it's actually burning on your nose or anything. Mm. And that's one of the benefits of this lighter style. Uh, the legs, very very fast running, so it's a very as you can tell, very light whiskey. But it's almost there's 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 a lovely kind of sweet berry side to it, and there's almost a little bit of spice just on the finish. I was almost thinking gingery. It's even at fifty percent ABV. It's not. Mm. It's not harsh. No, it's quite nice actually, that is. I was going to try and add this with water, but it genuinely, genuinely doesn't need it. I'd be loath to add water to that, because you'd run the risk of, of losing a lot of flavour. So this is definitely what I call a picnic whiskey. Yes, you just imagine being sat. That is nice, it is nice, that. Sat on a nice, nice grassy field, by nice a river running past, sunshine, and although it's gentle, you're getting so much flavour as well, it's mm. not like it's bland. So I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. 
So, five things you've learned. I must admit that is not bad. Five things I've learned. Yep. Um, well, obviously, there's a difference between American oak and English oak, which affects the flavour of the whiskey quite considerably. Um, the, so is the Where's the English oak coming into play with this? Into, with this one? Mm. Um, I well, at all in this episode, I don't think we've talked about English oak at all today. No, we haven't. No, what I'm saying. Okay, okay, no, okay. what I'm Just trying wondering. to say to you is, you, you mentioned uh, American oak. Yes. And so obviously, if it didn't, if there wasn't an influence, then you wouldn't have mentioned it. We just said it's oak barrels. So obviously, the American oak, like we said, must give a different flavour to English oak. It does. Which you would, you know, to somebody like me, a layman, you wouldn't think about. Well, one of the also. other bonuses is, um, first of all, as we've discussed, discussed a lot, America by law can only use their casks once in bourbon and rye, so the Scottish whisky industry can buy their second-hand yeah, white American them, yeah, oak casks. Yeah, that before, yeah. Secondly, white American oak grows quicker than English oak, uh, which is very important. So also we note that... Um, at a roughly, uh, roughly a bit of history when we were still using kind of like um, oak for ships, uh, there was quite a lot of shipbuilding going off for wars and things. Mm. And so when a lot of our oak got cut down for that reason, it was a bit wasteful to then go and use barrels as well. Uh, so there's all sorts of different reasons goes into it, but yes. And also, to be fair, the, the way that the... Um, our oak grows and things. It it, it has an effect on the flavour yeah. because of the uh, the tannins. Our oak will be, it'll be more denser, then more yeah. stronger. Mm. The other thing which I'm amazed at is the amount that's produced. When you were saying, like, you know, okay, yes, the, the sheer volume of the very industrious scales. That's yeah. two. Um, oh, the uh, um, independent bottling. Independent bottlers. What about them? Well, uh, they're they what they do they. Uh, bottle they, they take the whiskey uh, and blend it with other things and then bottle it themselves rather than it going the the actual distillery bottling it yes no no yes no. not really no <laughs> no well there's something along you settled around some facts there yeah mm, mm, somewhere along that line and this this is nice I must admit this is one of the nicest ones I've tasted without a doubt but I'm not a whiskey drinker might I add so. From from you're not a whiskey drinker, but you seem to enjoy every single one you get to try. Yes, but some are nicer than others, aren't they? I mean, you know, I wouldn't know a, a, a very expensive one. But it's, it's not so about it, price versus quality all the time. No, but this, uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's nice. Okay, mm, it's not got. That's that. an opinion, not a fact. But okay. Well, yes, it's <laughs> in my, my, my yes, no, it's my opinion. Yes, I, five, I, five facts. I, I could drink this, whereas some of them I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, I would. Have to acquire a taste for it, if you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, yes, this is uh, from a non whiskey drinking uh, drinker. I would say this is uh, green whiskey is very approachable. Whiskey. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll just leave it there. I think you've got two point five facts out of five. You were supposed to try and remember five things, and I don't think you managed it. I don't know if you got to three or not. I'm not sure. I'm sure I got to four, actually. I don't think so. So this has been Caskheads. Thank you for listening. Yes. If you like what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use. It really does help us, but more importantly, may lead to others listening to and discovering our show. Hmm. Um, I promise Luke will be back soon, um, even if I have to drag him. 
but he will he he's will just, make an appearance. He's, he's just only playing on the fact that he's yeah. have a new whip. He's just sympathy. That's all it is. It's all about him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hurt my foot the other week, and uh, the doctor said that that's more painful, or that's what I said to Luke anyway, that, that it was more painful than a hip replacement. I won't tell you what the reply was from Luke. It wasn't very pleasant. Well, I stubbed my toe the other day as well. Well, that so, can you be, know, all that I managed can be, to turn off this that recording. Can be awful, that. And I once had a splinter, and that was really painful, that was. Mm. Mm. And to pull it out... I didn't tell any anaesthetic, I just got it and I squeezed, you know, like that, and got your teeth on it and just, and uh, just carry on, just carry on, yeah. Some people. Yeah. I'd also like to thank Adrian and Alison Murray of the Wee Dram Whiskey Shop in Bakel. Um, they're very knowledgeable and have a great range of whiskies available, which, um, including today, uh, most of which we've reviewed, you can in fact buy in the shop. You can either visit them or go on the website www.wedram.co.uk. And thank you, and we will leave you with this one editing goof. Mm. Bye. Bye. It is a limited run, but it's not high vintage. Oh my god, Crispy, could you please make up your mind? Yeah, you leave. Oh, it's a bit of Oh, fuck with P.